This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks with your hosts Dan Gunther and Bruce Gibson. This is our second last show on Literary Treks, so uh, kind of bittersweet, but very excited that we have an author interview today. Yeah, this is our last author interview here on the show. Uh, for us on here, that will continue with the other hosts, but yeah. Um, I'm very excited to talk to John Jackson Miller. Who, excellent. He of Star Trek novel and Star Wars novel fame and comic fame and all kinds of stuff. He's been on the show before, but he's always a really fun interview. Always has a lot to say. So I think today's interview is going to be a lot of fun. And we're, of course, going to be talking about his newest novel, which is a discovery novel, Die Standing, which is all about the mirror universe Georgiou. So as we talked about in the last episode, but for those of you who don't know, Bruce and I are moving on from Literary Treks, but we will be continuing to cover the books and comics in our other podcast called Positively Trek. You can just search Positively Trek and you'll find that wherever you get your other podcasts, including this one. Literary Treks will, of course, continue with new hosts, but we will be moving on. But as we said, still covering the books and comics as well. Yeah, those new hosts look like old hosts to me. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, the, the longtime listeners will find them very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before we do get to the feature today, we do also have a comic to review, and this is issue number 12 of Star Trek Year 5. And before we get into this, wow, oh my goodness, what an issue. I, I'm not, I, we haven't talked about this yet. Bruce, I don't know how you feel about this issue overall, but boy, does a lot happen in it. <laughs> all I have to say right now, I guess. I mean, I read this and just about freaked out and I, I actually did it's one of the rare times i picked up a comic and went whoa what like that <laughs> mm -hmm. in a good way 
Yeah, in a good way. And there are there's a lot of whoa, what in this comic? <laughs> I think maybe in the future we should rate comics on the whoa, what scale because <laughs> this one is very high on that scale. <laughs> so Dan, how do you rate this whoa, what comic? <laughs> <laughs> it's about two woes and one what? <laughs> But no, yeah, this is a comic in which a lot of a lot happens. So it picks up directly from issue number 11. The Enterprise crew has been evacuated in escape pods to the planet below. And Gary Seven from the classic episode Assignment Earth has uh, is confronting Kirk on the bridge. And Kirk is the only person, the only crewman left on the ship. And what follows is a pretty brutal fight between these two characters. Honestly, did you see this coming, Bruce? This was crazy. No, but the last issue, I was a little concerned about Gary Seven. It's like he seemed more evil than I would expect him to be. And then when this fight starts breaking out, I'm thinking, wait, is this like some mere universe thing or something? And it's not, as far as I'm, as far as I can tell, it's prime universe stuff but man i was not expecting a drag out fight between kirk and gary seven like this at all and yeah it is absolutely like you said a drag out fight and they are neither of them pulling any punches here and yeah gary seven is much more jaded much older than he was in assignment earth and you know watching that episode he is kind of an antagonist for the crew for the first part of it because he thinks that they're trying to interfere in his mission and all that sort of stuff but not to the extent we see here again i've always thought the interesting part of this character is that his mission will always take precedence and in assignment earth he and the enterprise crew end up on the same side of that but I think they've done something really interesting here showing what happens when A, you make him much more jaded and angry, and B, put the Enterprise at odds with whatever his mission is. And his mission here seems to be to destroy the Enterprise. And then, as we learn later in the comic, even a bigger mission than that, which is pretty shocking. Yeah, and I will say that I did go back and watch Assignment Earth. Of course, I've seen it before, but it was just more how this comic portrayed him. And I was like, I, I don't really think of him this jaded. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've seen him in other comics. We've seen him in other novels. And I've just never seen him like this. But actually watching that episode, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see that. He's all about the mission. And he's got to take care of the mission. And if it's destroying the Enterprise to protect whatever it is, the future or whatever his assignment is, then he's going to see it through all the way. But I do feel like he's taking it a little too extreme. I feel like he could have, I, I don't know. We, we need more information, which we're not getting in this issue. Yeah. And again, I feel like this is something that will be cleared up later, but you know, he pretty much has Kirk dead to rights on the enterprise and he's forcing him to uh, crash the enterprise into this planet and then we get kind of a flashback, or not a flashback, we get finally in time to the scene that we saw at the beginning of the Year 5 series where he's giving that, you know, these, are the voyage, these were the voyages of the Starship Enterprise speech in the captain's chair. And we, of course, now know that the figure holding the gun to his head is, in fact, Gary Seven. 
uh, you know, which we could have guessed from the last issue, but I was still thinking there is still some ambiguity there, but, uh, it's definitely, that's how it plays out here. And, uh, it's dark. <laughs> well, the thing that made me really yell out loud is when Kirk grabs the stylist and just jams it into Gary Seven's eye. Yeah, that was graphic. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, and, you know, even Gary Seven's reaction to it, I think, was kind of shocking, where he's like, kind of brushes it off. He's like, the pain? Really, Captain? Like, I've been put through so much that this is nothing. And Kirk is shocked by that. <laughs> yeah, I, it's... Yeah, this one just really threw me. I'm like, there's got to be some big twist in this. This can't be real. You know, he just pulls it out of his eye and he's like, yeah, whatever. I have no pain. And I was just missing an eye like it's nothing. But, you know, also the the cover is deceiving because it shows blood on the wall and the silhouette of Kirk and the gun held behind his head as if, you know, he's shot in the head. He never does get shot in the head. It's held to his head and there is blood, but it's not from the gun or the phaser yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. No, it's definitely playing on, uh, you know, the comic version of clickbait, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's really well done. Meanwhile, on the planet's surface, we have the crew stranded there and Spock is reluctant to kind of take action. Uh, and the crew is kind of trying to convince him, you know, we should help Kirk out. We can reconfigure the escape pods and create a transport network. And Spock says, no, we have to have faith in the captain that, you know, he will do what he said he was going to do and we'll do what we were ordered to do. Uh, but then <laughs> look up into the sky and see the Enterprise starting to fall through the atmosphere. And I kind of love how quickly <laughs> Spock is like. Why, yes, it, this does change things and immediately orders everybody into action. And, you know, we even get these shots like Spock looking up and saying, hold on, Jim. Like the, the connection between these two characters, he sees his captain, his friend in danger, and he's immediately a different person and says, OK, no, we're going to we're going to go and do everything we can to save him. I was just like, that's cool. I really love the scene because everybody was right, but Spock was wrong. You know, they're all mm -hmm. like, we've got to do something. We need to go help. No, 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 no. The captain's got this. And they're like, yeah, well, look at that. And there's the Enterprise coming down. And McCoy's like, does that compel you? Why? Yes, doctor, it does. So it's like, okay, yeah, now we will do something. I just want them all to go. We already told you that, Spock. <laughs> I also love that in the time that it takes for the Enterprise to enter the atmosphere and start burning up and falling, you know, Scotty goes and constructs a transporter and <laughs> manages to be like, man, Scotty really is a miracle worker. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, what else happens in here? Again, there's a lot of violence. Yes, because we have Isis, who's Gary Seven's cat, or at least that's what she poses as shows up as like this kind of well initially looking human and uh, very graphically <laughs> taking out a group of red shirts because of course, uh, but then like transforming into a big massive Tholian type creature yeah. and, and taking on, you know, all these people and, and, 
you know, they're holding her off with phaser rifles while Scotty's trying to do his thing. And it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It is. It's like all of a sudden she's, you know, the spider woman, (laughs) you know, that's huge. (laughs) And she's attacking the red shirts and there's blood everywhere. I was like, whoa, again, it's like, is this really based on assignment earth? Is this really ISIS and Gary seven? Cause it just, it seems so extreme to me for them. Mm-hmm. But again, when I watch the episode, it's like, well, but yeah, this is valid. This can work. You know, I just never thought of them in this manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem really dark. And of course, we never really saw Isis being not a cat other than a brief shot in Assignment Earth. Mm-hmm. But and I, I don't know if this was intentional or not, or just to like make your mind go there or whatever. But that one page, and it's almost an entire page where Isis shows up in her human form and she's attacking the red shirts. The costume she's wearing just makes me think Mirror Universe. And I don't, I don't know if that's purposeful, but something about it, I'm just like, it, it made my brain think that. And I'm like, if they're really clever and really subtle, that could be uh, an actual thing they're trying to evoke, or it could be just a coincidence. Yeah, no, you're right. Cause it looks a lot like what, uh, Yahora and Marlena, Marlena wore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hmm. especially more Marlena cause it's, it's blue, but yeah, that's, it does look like that. Yeah. So yeah, again, I don't know if it's just total coincidence or if they're trying to subtly tell us something there. I don't know. Well, that gets back no to idea. what I was saying earlier as I'm reading. I was like, wait, is this really Gary Seven or the Mirror? <laughs> I mean, that's that's <laughs> been in my mind, you know? Yeah, for sure. So they do, ma- of course, manage to transport Spock onto the Enterprise. And because of that, they're able to get the drop on Gary Seven and avert disaster at the last minute and Gary again in what's some pretty graphic violence is in pretty rough shape here he gets shot by the weapon that that Kirk has taken from him and he beams down and gets Isis and they get away and of course the Enterprise just barely escapes its fate in a really cool scene that I would love to see in an episode or something sometime it would be beautiful but uh we get this thing right at the very end, just as not at the very end, but right when Gary and Isis were beaming away, uh, you know, when they say it will hurt them back, I promise when Gary says that. And I'm just like, yeah, this is, he's very different than he was for sure. Yeah. I mean, okay. So now I'm really, I am thinking that he's from the mirror universe. I mean, it's just, there's something going on. It just it just feels a little too violent over the top for Gary Seven, even to the point where he's like, We'll hurt them back, I promise. It's just it's just mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm really anxious to get to the next issue because I want to see how this plays out. Yeah. So the last we hear from Gary though isn't when he says that to ISIS, he does have a little bit more. He has this mission log and there's one bit of it that was really floored me, uh, where he says, my employer's plans for the Federation are in no way changed. Even now the Tholian front is advancing. Starfleet is living its final year. Nothing can stop that. Even him. So 
what's the plan here? Like that floored me that this isn't just a plan to destroy the enterprise. It's part of a bigger plan that apparently, you know, they're going to end Starfleet or I, I don't know what you, you could read this a couple of different ways, you know, as of right now is Starfleet in its last year and they're trying to change that or are they trying to make sure that happens? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, if you take it literally, Starfleet is living its final year. Well, we know that's not true. So mm-hmm. he either fails in his mission and 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 he's just on the wrong mission because I, I nothing drastic seems to occur at the end of the Enterprise's five year mission and this isn't the last year of Starfleet. So I I don't know. This has really got me confused and wanting to know what happens next. I don't even want to speculate. I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will learn more of the story, I'm sure, in issue number 13 when we get it. But in the meantime, uh, they do have an omnibus edition of the last few issues up to and including this issue, number 12, coming out soon as well. So, uh, you know, if you prefer to read these that way, that's a really good way to read this because, you know, I've, I've been consistently blown away by this series and I, this is not showing any, t- any signs of uh, letting up this, this story really gripped me. Well, you know, okay, here's another thing real quick. Cause I am really starting to think about this, but we're talking Tholians in these issues and we're, and we're speculating possible mirror universe. And there's a connection between Tholians in the Tholian web to the mirror universe that we got in, in the mirror darkly. So that's true. That's very, very true. And, uh, Hmm. Time will tell (laughs) time indeed will tell. And I hope, uh, yeah, we get our hands on issue number 13 as soon as it comes out, because like you, I'm, my palms are sweaty to like find out what's happening next here. (laughs) Just stay away from Gary seven. He cannot be trusted. No, apparently not. (laughs) Well, before we get to the feature, we should uh, move on to listener feedback from our previous episode, which is episode 306. There's shag carpet on this ship somewhere, which is our uh, coverage of the original series novel Agents of Influence. And of course, we had Dayton Ward on the show to talk about that. Uh, We got some interesting feedback on this novel. Uh, The first comment comes from Christopher Baca, who says, yeah, finally some Vanguard slash Seekers stuff. And yeah, that was exciting that the USS Endeavor, which is one of the ships uh, from the Seekers series and, of course, played a role in the Vanguard series as well, is a central thing in this novel uh, under the command of Captain Atish Katami. And yeah, it was really great to see those characters and you know, stuff from those series again. So I, I love that Dayton was able to borrow from that. Okay. So then Jeffrey Harlan says spoilers, but dot, 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 dot. Okay. You guys have been warned. You know, Jeffrey warned you guys saying spoilers. Okay. The Endeavor's fate doesn't track for me. The ship got its name and registry from a display in Star Trek six. Even if they attach the saucer to a new hall, it would still effectively be a new ship, and that new hall would have a different registry. Uh, 
Possibly. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe not. I, yeah. I don't know. Have we ever seen that before? Where they- I don't, not this exact situation before. And we did talk about it in the episode and Dayton Ward did bring that up that originally he was going to have the ship completely scuttled, yeah. but realized of course that it does show up in Star Trek six on the chart. So the, they recovered the primary hull and, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like it, you can kind of squint and make it work and say like attaching a new secondary hull is just basically installing a new engine and the primary hull is the real guts of the ship. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Well, yeah. And I mean, you gotta think if they did a total big refit of the enterprise where it's practically a new ship, according to Decker in the motion picture, it still kept its registry number. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I mean, if you're using the saucer section, that's already half the ship. So half the ship is the old and the new. I mean, it, to me, it could go either way. Yeah. And actually, I, I kind of wondered this years ago when I watched Star Trek Generations for the first time. And I kind of wondered if, you know, they had been able to pilot the saucer section away from the the drive section in time before it blew up and and salvaged the saucer section of the enterprise it hadn't crashed on the planet if they built a new bottom half of the ship would it still be the enterprise d uh yeah i think it probably would have been i think so too yeah anytime if a ship did a saucer separation and the hull got destroyed and they're bringing a new hull they're not going to put a whole new registry number on the ship yeah which is exactly what happened here. So yeah. I, I, I think it's fine. I don't know, but it's at least an interesting topic that got us discussing. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Well, Brandon Shamutala says, oh man, that laugh track. Spot a what? <laughs> and Bruce, yes, you kept in some bloopers <laughs> last episode, which I thought was hilarious because for whatever reason, I could not say Spotify. Mm, uh, I kept did. saying Spotify <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was a great addition with the laugh track there. I was I was pretty much crying laughing when I heard that. Yeah, if any of you didn't hear it and you listened to the last episodes towards the very end when we're saying our goodbyes and, you know, promotions and stuff. So if you want to go back and listen to it, that's where it will be. So Justin Ozer says, great interview. I really enjoyed Agents of Influence for all of the reasons that you gave. A big reason, though, is that Atish Katami is one of my favorite characters in the novels, and I love the Endeavor crew. The Endeavor was one of my favorite things in Vanguard. The Kirk Sulu Yahura pairing was also an unusual but great pairing to have. Plus, Nagora and the Klingons and the Orions and more. There was just so much good things in this novel. I'd give it nine out of ten Starfleet intelligence agents risking their lives for the good of the Federation. Yes, I agree. Nine out of ten. I'm with that too. He also says, I was also very happy to hear that Dayton is working on a new Star Trek novel that will be out late next year. Strange New Worlds, maybe? Dayton, you can just message me privately with the series and plot, and I won't tell anyone about it. (laughs) Well, yeah, and Dayton does reply, he says, I didn't specify what I was working on, and if I recall correctly, I don't think he said he was working necessarily on a Star Trek novel. Uh, So maybe a bit of an assumption on that, on... Justin's part there, but uh, regardless of, the, of whether or not that's what he's talking about, we're going to get more Star Trek from Dayton Ward, I'm sure, not before too long. <laughs> 
Yes, I don't know any information about this novel, so we'll just have to wait and find out. Definitely. Well, one thing we don't have to wait for is to hear from our special guest, author John Jackson Miller today, and we're going to be talking about his newest Star Trek Discovery novel. So let's welcome him onto the show. Today on the podcast, we have John Jackson Miller, renowned Star Trek and Star Wars author, I should add, a New York Times bestselling author recently of The Enterprise War a while back, and for the purposes of today's show, the new Star Trek Discovery novel, Die Standing. So, John, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Excellent. Glad to have you back again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't want to get you off the show until I ask about Kenobi at the end of the show. So that will <laughs> happen at the end. <laughs> I, I guess we can do that. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So recently, uh, just recently published was the uh, novel, like I said, Die Standing. And this one centers on kind of a controversial character in the Star Trek universe from Star Trek Discovery. Uh, the mirror Philippa Giorgio. Uh, I'm going to, tr- I, I won't be able to say all of her names, but the former emperor of the Terran Empire, uh, Eoponius is in there somewhere. If, 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 you, if you get any part of it wrong, she's not going to be happy with you. No. Exactly. I, sh- I probably should not even try no, because, yeah, I'll just keep my mouth shut around her and, and not <laughs> say anything because she is a scary person. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a secret uh, about this uh, this book right away. I was misspelling Georgiou so often that I just I just went in and and uh, did a hotkey thing where uh, I would type G H J and her name would appear. Nice, <laughs> because I, I I was like all these vowels in here. I'm trying to I'm trying to actually get it written. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's uh, I think I think this is the I have not done a book before where the main character is the focus of so many of the chapters. I mean, the, she's the point of view character for maybe 80% of the book. And so, uh, so yeah, I was, I was having to type the name a lot. I thought you were going to say you kept messing up the name. That's why you had one of the characters starting to call her Georgie just to, so you could get. Well, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, and, and I've never been able to sp- spell Philip or Philippa. Right. So uh, that's, that's again, uh, automating uh, was helpful. <laughs> was it the one L versus two L's thing? Because that always messes me up. It's I don't the, know why. And then how many, how many P's there because she's Philippa. So yeah, uh, it's, Anyway, I, 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 I prefer the Dax name. That's, that's nice and simple. D-A-X. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this book takes place at a particular period. There's, there's kind of prologues and stuff that take place beforehand. But the main part of this book uh, kind of takes place, I'd say, between season one and season two of Discovery, where, you know, it's after that bonus scene slash deleted scene where we see Leland disguised as a trill recruiting Giorgio into section 31 in that Klingon bar. And then before we see her show up, and I think it's the third episode of season two of discovery. So um, what made you choose to focus on this character and this particular period for Giorgio? Well, uh, as for focusing on the character, it's one of those things where the way it kind of is now uh, is they come to you. And they say, we want to do a, a book based on this character or that character. And, you know, I, I think Discovery was in a situation where 
uh, you know, season two had just ended, I think. Season three was was underway. Uh, obviously, we had no idea what was going to happen to the, the programming schedule for everything in 2020 as for when things were going to air. Um, but uh, they they knew that, you know, this would be a character that they would want to do something more with and that, that she would be open. Uh, and we hadn't had a book with her in it before. We, we had a book with uh, Philippa the Good, uh, but we didn't have a book with, uh, with uh, the Mirror Universe version yet. Uh, and I had never written anything for the Mirror Universe. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, as I say in the acknowledgments, you know, one of the things that drew me to doing the, the Enterprise War novel uh, was that I loved the Mirror Universe uh, you know, sequence and discovery, uh, and uh, and some of the surprises that were in there, and uh, the thought of that character leaping uh, unwillingly into our universe, I thought was uh, really clever, and that there there you know there was a springboard there. Uh, I further uh, thought that there absolutely had to be a lot more backstory uh, that needed to go in there than we could have gotten in the amount of time that we had in the season uh, because the decision to put her in charge of uh, discovery at the end of season one could not have been made lightly at all uh, and, of course, was a horrific blunder. Uh, and, uh, you know, just everything springing from this notion of, you know, bringing her, I, I have Cornwell who's had second thoughts about the whole thing, refer to her as an invasive species, uh, brought into, uh, our timeline. Uh, you know, they, they're, I, I wanted to set up, um, a, a contrast between, uh, what Leland and uh, you know, Section 31 and, by extension, Control, uh, what, what they all wanted from her or thought they could get from her, uh, and what the right-thinking members of the Federation who had realized, oh, my gosh, we've made a horrible mistake, uh, would think about her. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I dug around and found that, yeah, there was this, uh, you know, there, there was this, uh, this bifurcation, uh, already in the literature, uh, and, and also in the show itself between section 31 and the Federation security agency, uh, section 31, part of Starfleet, the FSA part of, uh, the Federation. And I thought, well, this is something where they could have different, different opinions about her, uh, and, uh, you know, so that, so I could have that going on in the, in the early sections of the book while at the same time I'm dealing with her. And of course her issues are, are multiple. Uh, she's, uh, she absolutely, uh, is, you know, the wrong person to join a team of anybody or, or anything given her immediate background. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, we see her quickly sign on and we see her, you know, already working, uh, in season two. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you think about her situation very long at all, you realize this woman has lost more than anybody has ever owned ever. And just like that, and she can't get it back. 
And so, you know, at a minimum, she'd be thinking, how can I get home? Uh, unless she realizes, well, you know, home, there's nothing there for me anymore. How can I turn back time? How can I do all of that? Then it's a question of, well, if barring that, well, she's the same person. Uh, this is obviously a, uh, a, a weaker uh, you know, realm to her, considering the place she came from. Uh, and so there's opportunities for somebody to, uh, you know, remake the universe uh, in her, in her, uh, you know, in, in line with what she's accustomed to. Uh, and so, you know, I, I wanted to have her immediately looking to get the heck out. Uh, I decided that one of the things that would be necessary, and I'm not into spoilers part of this yet, but because it's you know we where we see her in in the uh, in the I guess it was the San Diego clip that they used where we see her is uh, she's running a um, a bar uh, in uh, Klingon territory, but it's it's she's in she's in some consulate's territory in the in the in uh, in the Empire, uh, and it it occurred to me that well if she's still there she probably can't leave. Uh, because she would have left by now. Um, and why couldn't she leave? Well, she probably can't leave because the Klingons don't want her to. Um, the whole dynamic, season one, of how it ends uh, and how Laurel comes to power uh, suggests that, um, you know, she's got to know that this is a person who, uh, if it weren't for Burnham, would have destroyed her planet would have destroyed everything. Uh, and so I figured that the Klingons would have had uh, basically her under extremely close tabs. She wasn't leaving the planet. So that's what she gets out of Leland. She gets off the planet. Uh, and she's able to to go and get into a position where uh, you, once she's used them for everything she thinks she needs, uh, she can jam. She can hit the road and go find some place to make her world anew or, uh, you know, the best case, find a way to turn back time and go back to take over what she had. Um, it's clear that in that period, we don't really know how long a period that is. I had to, I had to mess with that in uh, Enterprise War, uh, how much time took place uh, between... Um, you know, the, the, uh, the end of the war and the end of the season. Uh, and I had to assume that there had to be some time in between the end of the season and also um, that, uh, that uh, cut scene. Uh, and there has to be time uh, of some kind in between that and season two, uh, episode two, I guess it is. Um, you know, I, I, I needed to figure out how much time I've got here. It had to be, weeks, but it couldn't be months. Uh, and so I, I wrote up a, an arc for her that I felt took her through and, and, you know, it, it becomes actually a structural, um, you know, get, it's both a joke in the book, but it all, it's also the structure of the book. It takes her through the phases of acceptance um, of everything she's lost. And the stages that she has to go through to become 
not what she was uh, to, to become something else. Uh, and so to that end, uh, we've got these, these two characters that she's with um, who are both, uh, you know, wildly uh, 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 unusual choices, I think, uh, to be with her. Uh, and I have to admit, uh, neither of them were my idea. Um, when we were brainstorming, I had done, I had done one version of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, they came back and said, let's see if there's a way to get some, some name characters into this, uh, which I probably would have tried to do anyway. I just, I was not, I, usually I don't start from the position of give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. I start with a story and then we say, who can we plug in? And so when we started going down the list, uh, and when they went down the list, they said, well, there's got to be a Dax around. And I said, yeah, that would be Emony. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, 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 then, then they had the notion of Finnegan. Uh, and uh, I said, well, I'll have to look it up. Finnegan was technically dead in literature. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, I, guess, I guess Finnegan is now in spoiler territory because his presence is the one thing I haven't talked to anybody about online or anything yet. Mm. Uh, but, but basically, uh, I, I went and read, even though we're not bound to you know, some, of the, some of the earlier Mirror Universe stories, uh, you know, Finnegan is killed in an offhanded reference uh, to Kirk's, Cadet Kirk's life in one of the previous uh, stories. And I, I looked at it close and said, you know, um, we don't see the body. Um, you know, <laughs> Kirk only thought he killed him. Right. Uh, and so, so here we go. I mean, and, and so, and I thought that these two characters would be wonderful to put next to her because first of all, she would think for this mission that I put her on, she would think, well, as babysitters go, these are, you know, I can ditch these two just like that. Uh, and uh, and, and because they're not formidable at all in, in her mind uh, at the start. And, and I also thought that it would be meaningful you know, theme-wise because uh, both of them, uh, as I have described them, are, are poster children for having to start over. Um, Dax, because that's what trills do. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, I further put Dax Ebony at a point in her life where she was going to be facing the same career questions, the same, well, now what do I do, uh, thing with her life. And then with Finnegan, um, you know, all we get of Finnegan in the, uh, in the original series is not even really him. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare version of him. Uh, and, so I, I I had that to start with. Literature, all we knew was, uh, you know, some people had written some things about previous pranks he had done and that sort of thing. And then uh, there was a comic story that Peter David did uh, back in back in the 80s, or it might have been even the, the early 90s, uh, where we meet Finnegan in a just a two-issue thing, and and he's actually an agent or actually he's a, he's an official with the Federation security agency. Yeah. Wasn't that hmm. during like the movie era? That was, during, yeah, it was after the movie era. Yeah. And so this is like, yeah, it was in the movie era. So that is a, that's a really, really, really deep cut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, no kidding that he's, you know, and I said, okay, this is, this is fine. I can make this work. 
Uh, and, and, you know, it sort of went from there. Um, and I guess I, I, you know, I haven't gotten any of the, any of the plot or the, 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 anything else yet, but this was what I was going to try to do. I was going to try to do a book that took her through this stage of her life, this, this part of her life to get her from just like the enterprise war book was about getting us from the cage to discovery uh, as far as Pike is concerned, uh, and Spock, uh, you know, what what we have in Die Standing is we got to get uh, Georgiou from, and if I'm pronouncing her name wrong, I, I'm sorry. I keep I, I keep hearing it on the TV show, and then I keep rethinking it in my mind. Uh, I've got to wait till the audiobook comes out, uh, <laughs> they, uh, which uh, which which should be great. Uh, it is, as by January Lavoie, and uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to that because. She uh, she narrated one of my, uh, my one of my Star Wars stories uh, a couple of years ago, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've got to I've got to get her from point A to point B, and I want to have this entertaining story in the middle, and then I also had you know the 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 the, the backbone of it is again why would you put her in this mission? Why would you give her any job at all? Um, you absolutely have to. You, it has to be something where you absolutely have to, where she can do it that nobody else can. Well, it. it I said, you know, it can't just be that she's ruthless. She's got to know something that everybody else doesn't. And that's where the mirror universe comes in. She's been there. She's been there. That's why she's an asset. She has conquered places the Federation has never set foot on. And, um, you know, one of the very, very, very complex things I had to deal with during the book uh, was what did the people in the mirror universe know and when did they know it about our world? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's when you bring in the defiant. And, and I have to mention the defiant. And but uh, and, 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 I, and so I introduce I, you, you kind of get a, a, a history and a future history, which I'm only able to get through through the the section titles of the Mirror Universe as kind of a a backdrop to this thing. Uh, but you know, we we know that they must know a lot, but they don't know everything about our realm. And what do they know about their own realm? And so, one of the questions that came up very early was, uh, does uh, does Georgiou know about the trills? Uh, do, do they know about the simians? And I decided, uh, and uh, I, yeah, I think Kirsten agreed. Uh, Kirsten Beyer, uh, who I who I work with with the the the, uh, the uh, Discovery Writers Room uh, on on the the original concept. I, I I think everybody thought it made good dramatic sense for her not to know, uh, so that you know Dax has got a secret that she's not an open book constantly to uh Georgia who thinks she can play everybody like a fiddle yeah because um, it would get to a point that if Georgia knows everything then you know there's nothing interesting about her there's got to be some things that she doesn't know i you know you don't want yeah. her to be like grand admiral thrawn and can figure out everything oh wait i'm sorry that's a different franchise well <laughs> i mean but i mean that but that's that's one of the things that appealed to me about this character is i mean if you want to go to the tropes 
uh, on TV tropes. You know, they have the magnificent bastard character. There's somebody who's just so smart that they 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 plan for everything. They think of everything. They're chess masters that think four or five moves down the road. And she does that. Um, it's just she also, as a Terran, finds appealing um, certain things that distract her. And so um, this journey that she goes uh, in, in the, um, and I had to go through 95 different names for this as well, but the Troika, uh, this, this realm of three different kingdoms, uh, the, uh, the, this journey takes her basically on a tour of what her life was like in the other world. Uh, and so, you know, you have the, you know, the, you have the first planet where it's, uh, you know, the rich lifestyle, sybaritic lifestyle that she's got, the trappings of fame and power she gets uh, being in, uh, being with Quintilian there in, in his, uh, in his, uh, in his household. Then we go over to the Dromax where it's, you know, she gets to play warlord. She's the warrior queen again. Uh, and she gets to command armies uh, such as they are. Uh, and, and then of course, finally we, we get to, uh, you know, this, this next, uh, final place where, uh, it's all about, uh, the weapon because she's always looking for the thing that's gonna get her what she needs to get, whether it's conquering the rest of the galaxy in mirror universe or conquering anything in our universe. Uh, and, uh, and so as we go through this book, uh, you know, she's, uh, what she wants is changing and it, it, uh, but she keeps her options open. And uh, one of the, the fun parts of the book, because the reader knows she's got to change her mind. Um, the reader knows already if they've seen season two of discovery, um, you know, that she is part of section 31. Um yeah, part of the fun was what is going to be the moment, what is going to be the thing where the light's going to go on and she's going to say, okay, the odds just got better over there. Mm-hmm. The odds just got better with Section 31. Um, and, uh, and all this other stuff that I've just relived uh, in microcosm, uh, you know, here, 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 you know I'm, I'm, I'm going to let that go. And uh, and that's our book. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and speaking of Section Thirty One, what you know, there's some a bit of controversy sometimes when people think about Section Thirty One during this era in the series of Discovery, where they seem to be a little more open. They're wearing badges, you know. Well, what, she makes so, a joke about that. She does. She, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, and this is a is book like? which is very aware uh, yeah. <laughs> of these things. But, yeah, but describe um, Section Thirty One at this time and how you yeah. portrayed it in the book. Uh, yeah, Section Thirty One, I think, is still rooted in its Starfleet beginnings uh, to a degree, and there is, uh, you know, it's it's clear that you know we do see there, you know, there there are um, Starfleet officers that are in charge of Leland, even though Leland technically leads Section Thirty One. Uh, we do see that there are uh, he, he has superiors that he's having to report to, uh, and they 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 meet a bad end, uh, if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, and and but 
the Federation is, you know, since the Federation itself is not winging it, uh, or rather Starfleet itself is not winging it, it's part of the Federation, the Federation decides what Starfleet does, uh, it struck me that Feder- the Federation had to decide something about what Section 31 did. Um, and uh, that's where Cordwell shows up, uh, because you know, since we had her basically sending Georgiou off on this operation uh, to the Klingon homeworld uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Discovery, she had to be sort of in, you have some sort of a, of a two-world thing going on herself. And I said, okay, well, let's make her uh, a liaison between these two universes of you know, the Federation and good Starfleet and Starfleet uh, Section 31. And she will be sort of the, the bridge there. Uh, and we get the added bonus that she's a psychologist or psychiatrist. And so she could be there to say, okay, okay, wow, you people are all, all, you know, twisted like a bag of bread where you come from. It's just not, not, not good. Uh, you people should not, not only not be allowed to run around loose. Uh, I mean, look, we've just had Lorca show up here. We know what it is to have, uh, you know, a doppelganger out running around. And of course, you know, Star Trek is no, you know, no stranger to doppelgangers running around. Um, you know, every time they do a prequel, uh, whether it's Enterprise or Discovery or whatever it is, uh, something set before, you know, we introduce a lot of, of, of subplots where you have to look at the later episodes and say, well, why didn't anybody realize that somebody could, <laughs> you know, double as a Starfleet officer or, or you yeah. know, clone a Starfleet <laughs> officer or... And be possessed by you know whatever. So anyway, uh, it's just the the cost of, of doing business. Uh, but but yeah, uh, that's uh, that that is you know kind of how I saw it is that there was an antagonism there. Uh, there they were working towards the same goal, but not fully in agreement on how to get there. It's really more of a, a difference in methods. Although we find out that our captain Georgiou is much more aware of um, not, not, not the emperor, but the captain uh, is much more aware of their capacity for mischief uh, and doing bad. Uh, and, uh, and that, that was another thing I had to do for the whole book is, you know, I'm, I'm constantly having to, to refer to emperor Georgiou and captain Georgiou because there's, there's, they're two different characters, even though they're the same person. So there's still a bit of housekeeping that had to be done. Well, speaking also of people who could stand the benefit of having a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist <laughs> nearby, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Finnegan, and we, we touched <laughs> on him briefly. <laughs> and and like you said, this is a character we've only ever seen kind of a, a fantasy nightmare version of him yeah. in the episode Shore Leave, of course. He was the one that was Jim Kirk's antagonist in the Academy. And I've always thought watching that episode that if this, if the real guy was even just a fraction of what this guy is, like he's just going to, there's no way he's going to be in Starfleet. He's going to be in prison somewhere or something. Yeah. And sure enough, in this book, <laughs> we find him in a prison. And uh, I, I don't know, I don't remember exactly when it was the name yeah. Finnegan popped into my head, but it was about a page before it's confirmed. I'm like, 
is this guy Finnegan? Because you wrote him perfectly. Like his voice just comes through. Well, that was the deal. And that's why I haven't publicized that, that Finnegan is in the book. Uh, cause I, I, that moment is there. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, we, we meet his doppelganger, uh, from the mirror universe. Uh, I give him a different name so that we don't have to worry with this. Uh, so I don't give away the goods. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he even says he's Irish, uh, at that point. Uh, I think he's, he's, it's just, it's just in the dialogue that I use. And yeah, he says something like when he's, uh, the the our prime universe version in the prison yeah. he says something about drinking and like i don't want to live up to the stereotype of my country yeah. or something that's like that that's exactly it like, hey wait a minute <laughs> that's ex- that's exa- that's exactly it and uh and so you know i'm 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 irish enough myself that i can get away with writing uh, <laughs> writing writing this character now the thing is the, you know the the, the character in this show is is ridiculous. I mean, I, he's meant to be a nightmare, but he's also, you know, it's a, it's a sixties, uh, you know, stereotypical, he's a leprechaun. Um, well, how do I make him less leprechaunish, but still just as problematic? Uh, you know, I think, I think there's a reference later to him as a chaos demon or something like that, where he's basically, uh, you know, where he goes, trouble follows, uh, and, and he's his own worst enemy and, uh, things implode frequently. And, you know, one of our debates was how long I could have had him in Starfleet because I have, I was loving the idea that he would have been, you know, like a ninth year, you know, junior, um, that <laughs> they just don't ever let him out. And they said, no, the, the most I can get is maybe five years. Uh, and, and so I said, okay, well then he can't have advanced because he's been you know, thrown out a few times. Uh, and, and, you know, I needed, uh, I needed, I need, I needed, uh, somebody to sort of, uh, be in his corner and that was Cornwell. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, you know, she gets to be the one who, uh, you know, shouts his name. Uh, and, uh, I've. I, I, I love the notion of, you know, her being as businesslike as she is and professional as she is having taken on this human reclamation project, which is, which is how she refers to Georgiou, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, this, this troublemaker trying to get something out of him. Uh, but again, you know, one of the one of the other things that's going on here is that both Section Thirty One and um, Cornwell have ulterior motives in sending him along, uh, which we find out later on in the book. Uh, and uh, and so uh, yeah, I, I, they 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 they're having to play this game with her, which is they need somebody to shadow her through this book but it can't be anybody that she will fear. It can't be anybody that she, although she does fear who he was in his universe, uh, or at least she doesn't, she wouldn't trust who he was in his universe. Uh, you know, she, she comes to realize very quickly that he's just not that person here. Uh, and, uh, and so she will keep him on as cannon fodder or as a distraction or something like that. Uh, for as uh, as long as she needs, and in fact, as soon as she doesn't need him, she ditches him. Mm-hmm. So okay, so that's Finnegan. 
let's talk a little bit about Dax. I mean, we've yeah. already talked a little bit about Dax, but I thought it was really interesting. I, I couldn't remember if she had already dated McCoy at this point or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, it, there was, a, you know, there's a mention of McCoy in, uh, in DS nine that he was all hands that, and that she had met, <laughs> that she had met him, uh, when she was judging a competition, presumably at Ole Miss. Um, and, uh, the, uh, there's a, I think there's a later reference somewhere, uh, to him, but it's just, it's just not much at all. Yeah. Uh, oh well, no. They, no, the other later reference is that she's the is is uh, uh, in the facets episode where um, you know uh, uh, Quark's girlfriend uh, you know becomes her mentally uh, Emily uh, as the as this uh, as this Olympic gymnast. Um, the only thing that had been written before about Emily was in the Lives of Dax. Uh, it was a story that um, it positioned it so that she was actually much older than McCoy at the time when she was judging the competitions. Uh, she's, it, it's kind of a, you know, a, uh, she's this older woman that's dating McCoy or is, is seeing him in that book, uh, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years older than him, I can't remember. And I just, in the beginning, I asked around, I said, is there anything official putting uh, is there anything official making her um, making her this age? And there wasn't. Um, and I said, well, I'd like to uh, make her, you know, as young as or not, not too much different age wise than McCoy at this time, maybe younger uh, and uh, on competition. Uh, and, you know, one of the decent things about being a, an Olympic gymnast is, you know, you could start at age 12. Uh, and and have three Olympics, four Olympics, you know, by uh, presuming it's still going every four years uh, uh, within twelve years, and so that puts her, you know, just shy of thirty by the time our our book starts, uh, and uh, and she can be, uh, you know, struggling with what Georgiou is struggling with, which is, uh, as I mentioned, what what happens next? What do I do? What do I do now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's a celebrity, you know, people recognize oh, yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. I really like how people kind of related to her in this book because I feel like she gets underestimated a lot because, oh, she's just kind of that Olympic gymnast. She can't possibly know anything else other than that. But at the same time, she also feels like she has a lot less life experience than, of course, she does in later incarnations of Dax. And in a lot of cases does seem a little bit, I don't want to say naive because that's not quite right, but um, a little bit more wide-eyed innocent, but at the same time surprises you a few times throughout the book with how much she does know and how competent she is. This is Dax number three, and not one of the previous two incarnations was an action hero. Uh, You know, neither of these people were in service. Uh, She actually tries Starfleet and washes out. Um, she doesn't, she doesn't get very far. Um, so she has life experience her, or rather the symbiote has life experiences. Uh, but this is not, uh, you know, this, this is not somebody that Cisco would call old man. Uh, this is, this is, she's, she's got some wisdom that's come from having to restart twice. Uh, and there's more to her ability to do things than, than what we see. Uh, but at the same time, 
uh, you know, look, uh, Emperor Georgiou is out of the uh, experience of just about anybody. Uh, Having to deal with somebody who, um, you know, is this evil version, or not necessarily evil, but this mirror universe version where all the rules are different, ruthless, everything else, uh, and and who just responds to things completely differently, and it, usually in a hostile manner, uh, where you can't ever tell whether the innuendo that she uses is real, whether the insults are real, um, you know, and and uh, there there are more. There are more insults in this book than I think in any Star Trek book ever. Uh, you know, because I always told you know, in Starfleet, people don't insult each other. We don't get away with that. Well, you know, she lets loose uh, <laughs> and and uh, constantly. And you know, Dax has to give as good as she gets at certain points in the book. Um, and you know, Dax also is is. She, you know, there's, there's this weird triumvirate in the body of the book where, you know, who does she have to confide in if not, you know, the emperor? It's Finnegan, uh, and so uh, and, she, and she realizes his limitations, but yet she's also fond of 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 you know this this guy who's a screw up, uh, and and you know goes to bat for him at one point in the book. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to have, uh, the two of them relate in odd ways that they're not expecting. Um, and then I had to also figure out a way to bring her into the story. Uh, and, uh, and you know, why that's the big question everybody's had is why is this gymnast actually involved in this section 31 thing? And that brings us to the other you know, spoiler-ish secret of the book, which is uh, is uh, is the Farragut. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So yeah, let's start digging into that. We're getting into spoilers, as you said. Uh, we know what ha- happens to the Farragut, but uh, it makes sense that you brought it in here because that incident happened at this time period in the yep. mid twenty two fifties. So uh, it's in. In fact, it was already established as being in the latter part of this year. So it was, it was, it had to be after the Klingon war ended uh, and it had to be, uh, you know, before something else, like what, what it was already, it was already established as being in 2257 or whatever year it was. Yeah. So our choice was like now. Uh, and so it had to have been, had to have been then. So that's why you included in the book because you realize, Hey, there's something out here and this is the time to do it. Yeah, I can't remember exactly the genesis of the cloud itself. Um, whether it was, I think it came from me, but it might not have. I can't remember. It was, it was, it was in that phase where we were discussing all the different things. I'll tell you that the, the original version of the book, um, the one character that was in it beside Georgiou was the character that became Quintilian. Um, and the, the idea was that these two characters would be in the book together most of the time. But as I had written it, it was actually going to be Quintilian that was going to be her escort through the Troika space. Uh, and, and he, he was going to be her guide. Uh, and, uh, in the, in the, in the original version of the plot, uh, yeah, I was, I was toying with various things. You know, could he be a trill? Could he actually have been a bad guy in his previous life? And he just doesn't know it yet because of what the trills do. You know, there's all sorts of things, uh, that that I thought would be fun to do 
you know, because her being around somebody like that could unlock some stuff. Uh, and then I realized, you know, what I want to do is I want to do a book where there's no bad guy uh, right away. Um, and we're, we're, we're never in the head of the antagonist, if you want to call him that. Uh, and that is because I wanted to spend 80% of the book with Georgiou. And I also wanted to have it be that she could be the bad guy. We don't know. Uh, she, she's working through this. And so, uh, you know, I wanted to have, uh, you know, in Quintillion, somebody that would be uh, formidable enough to be the player on the other side. Uh, and once I knew, you know, that he wasn't going to be her escort, once I knew that he was going to be in the Troika, then I said, okay, here's where we can create an origin story for the cloud, for the Dicaronium cloud. And um, I can work that in with, uh, with, with what we have uh, in the book, uh, where, you know, this is another person like, uh, like uh, my, uh, my character Korg from the, the Prey trilogy, where uh, he's somebody working a very long game uh, and is looking for the opportunity. And he's somebody who has a motive uh, for doing what he's doing. Uh, but uh, yeah, we don't find it out early at all. Uh, it, it's, it comes along much later. Uh, and, uh, and he, I also wanted to come up with somebody who would, who would be able to be on a stage with her, uh, to be able to be sort of, uh, you know, equivalent in her mind, uh, that he wouldn't be just a plaything necessarily, but, but, uh, that he would be somebody that, that, uh, she might actually consider, uh, as, uh, if not an equal, uh, at least a, a player character in her life. Uh, and, and again, you know, the, uh, the, the mechanism for how the cloud works uh, you know, is right there in the TV show. We know that it can uh, go through walls. We know that it uh, can go through warp. Uh, we know that it can do a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I, I just never wanted it to have a voice. I, I never wanted it to be, um, and this is always, this is always tricky. Um, you know, you want to be careful doing stories about, uh, uh, you know, plagues or, um, uh, uh, biological weapons or chemical weapons, uh, in a sense, uh, because the, that, that particular object doesn't have a voice in the story. doesn't have a motive in the story. It just is, um, mm. When we were doing uh, in Star Wars, when we did the Knights of the Old Republic uh, crossover with all the other series uh, called Vector, um, and we were talking about, well, we'll introduce this plague that starts in the Old Republic and go toward the future. Uh, you know, we realized, well, there's no face of this plague uh, that isn't a victim. And uh, somewhere between Jan Dersema and myself, we came up with the idea of the Rat Ghouls, who are the, the zombie characters in the, in the video game. Uh, and, and, you know, I figured out a way to, to, you know, give a, a face to the plague, uh, through this thing that caused it. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, that, that's kind of the case here too, uh, is, you know, nobody, uh, nobody, you know, the, nobody speaks for the cloud. Uh, we just, we just know, we see what it does. Uh, we know what it's going to do. Um, and as the book went along, I realized, okay, well, there's an actual backstory to the cloud. 
that can be developed. And then it was just a matter of getting it all to fit together. I mean, uh, look, Dax had never met Kirk. We, we, or, or if she had, she didn't say it. Um, you know, uh, in, uh, in trials and tribulations. Um, so, you know, it, we, we had to come up with something that would you know, get her in the proximity of the story, but just not cross paths with them. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I realized she had to see what happened. Uh, she had to see what happened in a way that, that, you know, the reader had never seen happen before. Um, Although, as it turned out, <laughs> the cloud story has been told uh, at least two different times, uh, including once by Shatner uh, uh, in, in one of his books uh, for Star Trek. And so there are, there are a couple of references in there that are sort of nodding references to the, the other stories about the cloud. Uh, and there's even a nod to... Um, the uh, the Dead of Honor story that Chris Claremont did, where you know, basic that that's the story where Claremont brings in the Sleezoids from the X Men comics, uh, and he he has them invading uh, invading uh, the Enterprise after the cloud, not the Enterprise, but it has 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 them invading Farragut after uh, after the uh, yeah after I don't mean the real Sleezoids, but equivalent aliens yeah. has them has yeah. them invading the Farragut after. Uh, it's charisma decimated. And so that's that story. We're going through my head too. Yeah. Cause I, I read that years ago. Yeah. And well, I was that is the source. Yeah. That is the source of the Farragut's doctor's name because we oh, meet, very cool. Cause we meet the doctor there. It is also, uh, it, it, there's a line that Dax had uh, says where she, after, after coming back from the Farragut, she says, you know, man, I really hope they made it home safe with nothing else happening. Uh, and of course, <laughs> You know, they, they in, in in the comics, Farragut doesn't get home. It, it's 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 uh, it's uh, but but again, I'm only really bound to that to the extent that I want to be bound to it. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I just thought, eh, you know, fun. Why not? Uh, so there are nods to it. Uh, you know, I uh, we realized there was just no way I could. Uh, I did try to bring in uh, Shatner's version of the events. I can't remember the name of the book, but in Shatner's version of the events, they're actually on the planet when the uh, when the uh, when the uh, on Tycho uh, when the uh, thing attacks, uh, and uh, there's uh, and I thought I said, well, does it attack twice? Uh, does he forget to fire at it twice? Uh, anyway, uh, we uh, there, there's a, there's a few things that that uh, I just said, okay, I can't I can't make this work. But uh, but anyway, no, it, it, it does work out, and it worked out fine that, yes, Section 31 would be interested in it. Uh, and, you know, Quintilian, you know, we know his role in it. And then it was just a matter of building backward because I knew this was going to be something. Uh, this thing Whipsaw was what she refers to it as. Uh, this, is, this is the secret weapon that has been promised to Georgiou that she didn't get. To the emperor. Named after the uh, weapons of the Canadian warlords. Yes, <laughs> the there you go. Yes. If I remember correctly, that's that's one of my little uh, Mirrorverse jokes. Yeah, uh, I that. yeah <laughs> that's that. Yeah, you, yeah. You always have to be careful with that. How far you want to go with those kind of things? That's probably my my goofiest joke. 
uh, happen to do with the mirror universe. But uh, because there's there's this temptation to throw a lot of crazy stuff in there. But I express that the book is aware of that. Uh, I express that every time Georgiou has to tell Leland what happened to him uh, in in the mirror universe. She comes up with another horrible, horrible you know, explanation of what he became uh, or, or what happened to him. Uh, because that, that's, that's what, every, that's, uh, let's all be honest, it's the one thing we want to see in the Mirror Universe is, you know, uh, Captain, Captain Killy. I mean, we want to see what horrible thing, and, and, and the characters themselves want to see. Georgiou makes a mention of that. Uh, to you, you know you want to know. You, you, she, she says this to uh, uh, to uh, Cornwell, and of course we do see Cornwell uh, in the comics. There's the, there's a tie into the comics as well because there's yeah, a mention, there's a yeah. mention of Alexander who is her cousin. Yeah. Uh, right. And so uh, yeah, all this is in there, and um, you know I hope that uh, I hope that I didn't get anything wrong. I, I think the only error I have in the book is uh, is uh, characters are sitting in the wrong chairs at some point when I describe it. I didn't, I never catch that stuff. Uh, I <laughs> moved from the co-pilot seat to the pilot's chair or whatever. Uh, that I, I, I should, I should just stop, stop having more than one chair. <laughs> uh, some of those, uh, small references to the mirror universe were, were some of my favorite bits. Like Giorgio, she, she doesn't, she doesn't really care. Like she's, you know, doesn't care about things that are classified and says, but says things in a way that like you could just kind of write off one of my favorites. I forget exactly who they were talking about, but she says, Oh, he was an emperor and blah, blah, blah. And Quintilian says, no, he was an educator and he did this. Oh, I must be thinking of a different universe anyway. And then just moves on. And I just, that's so well, great. I could totally see her doing she that. She can't show. be bothered. She can't keep, <laughs> you know, there's, there's this whole thing where she's saying, why would I lie to you? I can't be bothered to lie to you. You're all you're all beneath me. I don't get anything from lying to you. Um, you know, she's that's that's why, you know, by giving her this mission, by giving her something she wants, giving her the cloud uh, in the middle of the second part of the book, uh, basically gives her a reason to cooperate with the rest of the characters for the rest of the book. She, she's got to have something that she wants more than to flee. And, uh, and, uh, and that's, and that's it. And, uh, so, uh, so anyway, you know, another thing that, that I worked really hard on, uh, is, is the Troika itself. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the, uh, you know, critiques that, that, uh, you know, is always out there is that, you know, the aliens are never alien enough in Star Trek. Um, and I decided well, I would go hog wild with this, uh, that the, that the, uh, the Kasmarans and the Dromax and the Oslings would be completely alien. Um, yeah, I'd give them a mechanism to talk to us, uh, but they really don't relate to us and we don't relate to them. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so, uh, you know, it, and, and it sort of underscores this, uh, East India Company, you know, uh, dynamic that I've got going on with Quintilian. Um, I did a book a few years ago, the only book in my own universe, which is out of print, and I need to get it back out there at some point, uh, it was called Overdraft, uh, about uh, an Earth trader who was going 
you know, with his, with his, uh, with his trading company between stars. And it was very much designed as an age of sale thing where the merchant was in charge of everything, uh, and making all the decisions. And, and I thought, well, let's, let's, let's play into that, uh, where, you know, we actually use words in here like factor. Um, a factor is somebody who runs a factory. What fact, what they would do is, uh, you know, you'd, you'd uh, establish a settlement uh, on, uh, before you'd establish a settlement uh, on, in, in the East Indies, you'd basically, uh, you know, here's, we're going to have an outpost here and we're going to have somebody who's going to manufacture things. We're going to have somebody who's going to uh, process uh, the spices as they come out, process the bamboo as it comes out, process the whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, the, there's no colony there's just this little foothold uh, that's there to allow you to, you know, it's a little bit more than a trading post, but it's allowed, it allows you to do, to do business there. Uh, and that's what I figured he was. Uh, and then I created this, this trading network between uh, the three groups um, because, uh, you know, they, they had to have some very old politics themselves uh, and, you know, they had to have some reason why they never picked a side in the whole, you know, Federation Klingon thing. Uh, they, they, and, and, and there had every reason why we didn't want to mess with them either. Uh, and, uh, and we, and we see why they're just very, very alien. Uh, and, you know, in, in our universe, the Federation respects their desire to be left alone in the mirror universe. They just can't be bothered. There's nothing there. Yeah, I really like how how alien all three species are and how different from each other they are as well. And also the fact that, like you kind of talked about there, uh, mentally and, and, and how they relate to the universe is just so alien. And, and you know, it's not just that they look weird. It's yeah, that they yeah. they truly have a different worldview. Yeah, I mean, I, I had just gone through, you know, uh, Enterprise War where I had uh, you know, I, I had one race that the Rengru, which was very alien, very alien. But then I, I had the the Boundless, who uh, you know are, are are from you know central casting uh, in terms of in, in terms of uh, starship uh, trooper style, uh, you know, uh, colonial marine armies. Uh, yeah, that that's uh, that's that's uh, yeah, that was that was something where uh, I wanted to say, okay, yeah, we'll we'll just go completely fully into this. And yet, at the same time, in uh, in um, in Quintilian, I wanted to have somebody who was uh, really, really, really knowledgeable about history, and not just about empires on Earth, but empires everywhere. Uh, and that ends up being a motivating factor of of, of his character. Uh, and so, so yeah, I had uh, I had all my. Uh, I had my Suetonius book out uh, on, on the Roman Empire, uh, the the Twelve Caesars. I had uh, I had all my uh, you know his history books out uh, so that he could he could make these references and that they could uh, they could mean something. And then it was a matter of deciding well how how different is the history in um, in the mirror universe? Uh, and for that we've got to thank Enterprise um, them mm. doing. Them doing that opening sequence uh, more or less as a gag uh, in uh, in uh, in the Enterprise TV show establishes that yeah the 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 uh, the turning point was not uh, first contact the turning point was not what a lot of people had you know rooted for for years uh, Edith Keeler 
uh, it had to go way, way, way back. Um, mm-hmm. And and there have been made you know many references in fiction over the years to you know what evil you know Shakespeare evil evil uh, you know Charlemagne would have done or said or whatever. So um, so yeah, it was it was just a matter of what things could be the same and what things could be different. Yeah, I remember Flox's line in In a Mirror Darkly too, when he says he was looking at the literature of their counterparts and he said the the stories were much the same, but the characters were all weak and spineless yeah, compared yeah. to our universe, except Shakespeare. His plays were yeah. equally dark in both universes. <laughs> oh, and and we have a we have a we have another another character in here. Um, you know, the uh, the the captain uh that uh, Egan that she's that that he he's he's in both prologues. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then he ends up being important in Dax's life briefly later on. Um, and, and that was another one of those things where it was like, well, did, did, did Mirror Georgiou still serve with this person at some point? I said, yeah, she probably did. But then I realized their people would never name a ship Archimedes unless Archimedes had built a weapon. And so right. I gave him one, uh, <laughs> You know, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the, he was using, using his parabolic, uh, uh, you know, calculations to, to figure out how to lob fire. Uh, so uh, actually, I don't know if I gave him that or if, if, if it, it really existed, but that was what they honored him for. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I thought something else they hear that was really interesting was when they approached, uh, they went in that grotto with the pool of water, oh, the yeah. cascade. Tell us about that because that was really yeah. fascinating to me. That was a late addition. Um, that was something where I, I had, I had begun thinking this through, and I could not figure out. You know, I really didn't want to do what I did with with Enterprise War. Enterprise War is a is a the boundless of the enterprise war uh is a alexandrian army where we take you over we induct you we indoctrinate you you fight for us under our flag um but i didn't want to spend a lot of time showing the dromax's society uh you know how they you know, raise young, how they create, how, how, how they, how they do this, how they do that. I wanted them to live only for war. And I, I, I wanted them to, um, you know, they get, they get food from the Oslings. They get, uh, they get weapons from the Kazmarans. That's, that's all they need. Uh, but I did not want to get into the notion of what a, what a family was for them. I didn't want that even to, to exist for them. And so that got to this notion of well, what do they want? They want this particular um, this particular holy site, which is holy for a reason. It's how they repopulate um, their uh, their uh, their armies. Uh, and so, in a sense, uh, it's a, it's a spawning site, uh, like you'd have in the the video game Gauntlet or something like that. It keeps getting passed back and forth. Uh, we had already established that, oh gosh, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's shards of time here and there. And, and we had also just established that time can be manipulated within a crystal, uh, over in discovery season two. Uh, and so I said, well, what if it's, what if this crystal is, what if it's a, what if it's one of these, 
uh, and there are sort of crystalline lava tubes that are that are around. Uh, what if it's what if it's a what if it's a lava tube that's got a flaw in it, uh, or a, a crystalline tube that's got a flaw in it that you know it 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 creates a time traveler uh, just out of sync with you uh, twenty seconds later or thirty seconds later, and uh, then it was a matter of coming up with the engineering of the site so that it it does you know it's like plunging into the pool. Uh, and and that increases sort of the mystery of uh, of of what's of what's there, uh, and he uh, you know the the, uh, the that was probably the most fun I had was Finnegan desperately wanting <laughs> right. to go in, and the two of them just say no, you don't, <laughs> and it's and and he's just like you know hey why not. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I can, I can do it. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I can be my own rugby team. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we want a Finnegan like that. No. <laughs> I love that Giorgio, even Giorgio, was like, "Oh God, no!" <laughs> like normally you'd think, like, "Ah, do whatever," but like even she is like, "This is a horrible idea." <laughs> <laughs> and and you know it and it and it, uh, it 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 allows us to put a mystery in that section of the book that is not connected necessarily to the the mystery of the cloud. So. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, the 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 villain's plan has several facets, and it requires all three of these peoples. Um, and uh, and uh, you know, it it also requires her, and we find that out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in that that final bit where we kind of come to the end of the journey in the Guardian of this place where these uh, weapons, where where these clouds can be found. Uh, is Captain Giorgio. And I love that you get to kind of pit Emperor Giorgio against Captain Giorgio in a way there. And and I think in the book you say, like, this is basically her. Like, they kind of mapped every yeah. synapse and, and it's, yeah. it's her. It's, you know? it's, the, it's the Max Headroom version of her. Um, it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it, it, she's, uh, she's how she would have responded to things, how, how everything. And so, um, that was another late edition of the book. Uh, I, I came to that, uh, I approached that section and I said, well, this is the only way I could go with this. Um, because, you know, she has, has been rebelling, not just against, uh, her fate. She's been rebelling, not just against Starfleet and section 31. Um, but she's also been rebelling against this vision of who she was. Uh, you know, we we had uh, her pretending to be, or being forced to pretend to be, uh, Georgiou for for the you know, the captain for a long time, uh, and and you know she's obviously struggling against that. Uh, anybody would. Uh, she's the twin that lived, uh, and if if you want to put it that way, and so she's dealing with something there, uh, and uh, and she has to. Uh, she has to sort of face her, and um, you know this. This uh, I, I think uh, you know, anytime you can resolve something with a conversation as opposed to resolve something with description, uh, it's better. And so uh, you know that that's that that allows me to get uh, it allowed me to get uh, you know her back into the book without a flashback. 
And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, believe it or not, the, 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 a great deal of time goes into trying to figure out how you can avoid flashbacks, how you can avoid hopping around because you want to keep going forward as much as possible. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I get more exotic with every one of these books. I have, I have two, I have two, two prologues and five sections in this book. Uh, you, you know, the two prologues in different time frames. Um, but you know, one of the nice things is now that we're doing these, you know, these much bigger books, um, you know, if I need to go, uh, you know, another 10,000 words or something like that, I can. Well, I, I do like that, you know, even though this kind of main conflict gets resolved and, you know, we get Giorgio kind of on the path that we see her in season two, you don't really pull any punches with this character. Like she's dark, like her thoughts yeah. are dark and the things she just kind of casually quips about are enough to, you know, make Emily Dax, for example, turn white. Like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, it's there's some dark it's stuff. cringeworthy, cringeworthy stuff. And, um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm always thinking, well, uh, you know, how would she really react? And, uh, so, so yeah, it's I, I, I tried to play it honestly, as honestly as possible, uh, as I could. And I, I think, you know, for people that, you know, haven't really necessarily, um, aren't big fans of section 31, for example. Um, this is a book that does not force you to wallow in all the history of section 31. I wanted to get section 31 into the story and out of the story pretty quickly. Uh, Leland is there, but he's, you know, he's, it's not like he's lurking around. They're not calling into him every five minutes. Um, yeah, he's I, just listening to teeth. Yes, uh, which is another fun thing that comes along later. That, that's the kind of stuff that is not in the original plot, because if you put it in, it would be 500 pages long. Uh, but you, you realize, yeah, that's, of course that's what they did. Of course that's what they did. That's, that's, that's why you have him along. Well, what is her timeline? What's her personal timeline? Like we're in Back to the Future. She's mm. just two months out of where she came from she's just too much too, she's two months she's she's uh she's two months later or, or however long it would be uh from being the queen of the universe so right. um yeah she's not going to trust anybody she's not going to be nice to anybody um you know it's it's it is in a sense burnham uh that is uh is is the person who saved her from you know, re, re, in, in, in reality from, from the fate she was going to have, but then Burnham leaves, uh, and, and, and goes off to, uh, where she goes off to in the, in the, uh, in between part of the seasons. So, um, yeah, she's got to work this out on her own. And I think that, uh, you know, what we got here is a, a fun little odyssey. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, and I realized, you know, this has to, this book has to be in five parts because we're going to three planets and we have two jailbreaks. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, where she, right, right at the start where she's just not going to do this. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it, it, it feels different from any book I've done. Um, I've, I've, I'll say it was a rough, um, a rougher thing to write than, um, 
than a lot of books in the sense that it is hard being in that dark mindset all the time. Uh, when I was writing the Lost Tribe of the Sith stories for uh, for Star Wars, uh, I was at least able to, you know, I wrote those stories uh, a few months apart. Uh, so I wasn't wallowing in the head of somebody who is uh, is just awful to people a lot of the time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, it, 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 people that, that aren't necessarily sold on, you know, being around a character like that all the time, I think will probably enjoy the way that we handled her in the book and they'll begin to relate to her. Um, you know, it's, we have, we have all sorts of TV shows and movies where, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're following the adventures of Tony Soprano. You're following the adventures of Walter White. You're following the adventures of a character who is, you know, good and bad, but maybe more bad than good. Um, and, you know, this is kind of unusual in Star Trek. I mean, we've done a couple of con books, uh, but, but, uh, but, you know, something extended with this character, uh, you know, this is it. Well, there is one kind of last thing I wanted to touch on a little bit, and I'm going to issue a little bit of a warning to listeners here because I've, I've gotten in trouble before for talking about trailers for television shows, and some people go out of their way to avoid them. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the season three trailer for Discovery a little bit here. Uh, so this is your warning. And I'm not sure if you're going to be able to answer this or I can't. Or sure. At this point, I'm not sure I remember the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, in that trailer, we do know that they come across the trill in some form. We see the, the caves and the pools and we see trill characters. Was there any kind of thought to, I, I, and I don't know if Dax is going to show up in season three. This is all just maybe speculation, but it's something I couldn't get out of my head is, you know, we have Dax now having met Emperor Giorgio and knowing who she is. And now Giorgio is on discovery a thousand years in the future. And there's some connection with the trill is, you know, I, I know you can't answer this, but like, I, I can't help but think maybe Dax and Giorgio are going to meet up again and maybe there'll be some veiled reference to this novel. I don't well, know. <laughs> that, that would just be ridiculously in the realm of something, you know, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> yeah. No, no, the, um, you know, I, 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 you know, what I, what I will say, um, and not related to Dax, and not really the one of the things that's gotten to be a challenge anyway um, is is uh, drawing things from future things. Uh, it's not that it's gotten to be a challenge; it's always a challenge. Uh, drawing things from future things or things that are in production, uh, and and then how you handle those things. Uh, I think when I did this uh, this broadcast, uh, is it a broadcast podcast? Uh, last year, I might have mentioned that there was a character in Enterprise War uh, that I expected was going to turn up in the short treks. They changed that character's name when they actually went to casting. And oh, okay. so that character is no longer that character. Uh, and, I was wondering about that. Yeah, because yeah. I'd remembered that. No, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, one of the... Uh, one of the officers that is captured by uh, the Boundless uh, was going to be uh, the captain from uh, The Trouble with Edward. Uh, and uh, I just, you know, 
said, let, let me, let me, let me plug in a name here. Uh, and then the name changed. Uh, and so, um, you know, is there something like that at all in this book that relates to season three? Well, you'll tell me a year from now. Um, and, <laughs> and, enough. and because right now, even I wouldn't know if I, if I knew something like that in that case, yeah, I didn't know myself until I saw the casting sheet, um, for, uh, for that particular thing. And fortunately, everybody forgot about it until I mentioned it again here. Uh, but that's that's <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that happens. I mean, you know, you you things uh, these things ha- these things are productions that are going at, at different times. Uh, as to what what actually happens in season three, I wouldn't wouldn't be able to say. That's- well, that would be difficult too because if they put something in a scene where Dax and Giorgio meet and they say, "Oh, it's good to see you again," viewers, most viewers haven't read this book and be like, "Well, yeah, I mean what? that would that, that would be odd. That would be like I don't know bringing uh, Darth Maul back from the dead in a in a movie." Um, oh well, yeah, that's true. and not and not saying not saying uh, you know pop up. Check the cartoon series uh, <laughs> for an explanation of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's always tricky. Yeah. Yeah. The, the main reason, the, the main reason that made me put it in our notes to ask was in the acknowledgements, you make a brief mention of the future adventures of Emperor Giorgio. So yeah, I, that was in, maybe in, 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 <laughs> in part that was to echo, uh, we have the same, we have the same page in Enterprise War. Uh, right. we have the same page in Enterprise War where there's, there's stuff we've set up in Enterprise War. Even, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's set up in Enterprise War that is not paid off uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to Spock. Uh, that stuff gets paid off in season two. Um, right. And, you know, let's say Enterprise War had come out before season two. I wouldn't be you know, speculating about anything then either. Fair enough. Um one other thing that kind of struck me about this is with Enterprise War, we got the announcement of Sp- of Strange New Worlds quite a bit after that novel came out. And in a lot of ways, that novel almost feels like, you know, what would have been a Strange New Worlds novel had it come out later. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. We've not seen the series. We don't know when it takes place. Yeah, but, yeah nobody said anything know, about the that. The basic premise seems to be there. Could this one, and I mean, I, I know you don't know necessarily what that show is going to look like but it strikes me that this could almost be like the first star trek section 31 novel well um yeah this was one where you know we're always going back and forth on titles uh and and this is one where first of all i got my first choice of title uh it was it was everybody was like yeah and of course we know where the title comes from now uh but uh we 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 got our we got our first choice uh but uh, it also has this nice sort of James Bond, you know, 007 sound to it. Uh, any, 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 any movie with the, you know, die in the title, that's a James Bond movie somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so, you know, I, so, so we had that, um, you know, there was some discussions always about, well, do we put section 31 branding on it? Uh, like the other section 31 novels. Uh, and, you know, I, didn't want to do anything that would connect it to in anybody's mind with uh you know a series that is is you know is i don't you know i i i uh i it, this is a discovery novel i worked with the discovery folks on it it takes place during discovery um yeah i mean uh, you know i i, I 
suppose if if we had wanted to, we could have used uh, the the literature, the literary section thirty one branding. Uh, but I mean, it, it's 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 not really of a piece with those other novels uh, in in a sense. Even though even though I hope it doesn't contradict any of them. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm always for the shortest possible title. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was, it was die stand. It was either, it was either die standing or, or whipsaw was another one. Uh, you know, that it was uh, something, something very, very, something that sounds like a spy novel. And, and that's the way we went. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we've been very careful in the marketing, uh, to say that this is a Georgiou novel, this is a Georgiou in Section Thirty One novel. This is a this is a this is a Georgiou in Section Thirty One during Discovery novel, and um, you know, I, I, and I, I've tried not to push it too much further beyond that. Hey, look, this is you know, this is a this is this this plays on that. Um, I, I I think it's important to to try to play it straight as much as possible in terms of you know, what, uh, what your inspirations were. You know, Dan was asking you a lot about how this book could connect to future series or seasons and all this stuff. And I'm just thinking, you know, do you think your Kenobi book could be the kickoff to the new Kenobi series? I've never heard that question before. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I know. What I've said said so many times is more Kenobi is always good. Uh, more Obi-Wan stories are always good. Um, I, I, I did do a series of tweets. Um, every so often, I'll, uh, you know, I, I, again, I love Star Trek. I love the Star Trek fans. But when I have a Star Wars tweet that goes viral, it's, you know, 300,000 people see it. Uh, it. It's just, it just gets crazy. And one of them like that was when I was talking about, um, the fact that there are a lot of different ways to do the series uh, if they wanted to go this way or that way, that, you know, all of them are valid. Um, that as I saw it, when I was approached, well, I wasn't approached. I approached them. When I approached them to do the, the, the novel, um, the way I saw it is Obi-Wan Kenobi can never again leave Tatooine. He's in jail. If he leaves, if he goes, you know, anywhere, uh, it doesn't work. Uh, you know, we, uh, Timothy Zahn and I have a, a sort of a running uh, gag about this because whenever anybody asks him on a panel, he wants to see Obi-Wan spending his exile going from planet to planet, causing trouble during all this time. And I'm just, I'm sorry, no. Uh, Andy Dufresne and Red cannot sneak out of uh, Shawshank prison every weekend in my mind. Uh, that does not mean that it's not a valid you know, way to tell a story. And there have been other stories that have been written uh, where Obi-Wan le- uh, takes off and goes someplace uh, in, in the Legends uh, timeline. It's just the way I saw it, uh, if, uh, you know, he is the, he is, uh, Luke is the new hope, Obi-Wan is the hope that failed. Um, uh, he has to atone. He has to be on this planet. He screwed up he, the entire galaxy. And to the extent to which he screwed, really screwed up is questionable. But regardless, he feels like he did. And the whole galaxy uh, is lost. And so he has to stay in this place, this horrible place, 
whether it's a day, a week, a month, or 30 years, all his life, he has to do it. And that's what it turns out being. That's how I always assumed it too, because you know, he's a hermit. He hasn't gone yeah. by Obi-Wan in a long time. It sounds like he's just isolated himself on yeah. Tatooine. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's, that's how I saw it. Um, I just have admitted that there are other ways to do these things here. And, uh, if it, if, uh, if you see something that's different, well, I mean, you know, count how many Supermans we've seen over the years. Uh, you know, this is, I think, I think, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of kids in the, uh, Star Wars, uh, universe in terms of, the 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 franchise even at 40 years is younger than star trek is younger than superman is younger than sherlock holmes is younger than other things that have been reinterpreted rebooted reshown um you know we have not even gotten to our star trek 2009 moment in star wars um you know that, that we have not gotten to the here it is reimagined with different a- actors, uh, and I have no knowledge that they would ever do that. I don't know that I think that that would be smart, uh, but you know, uh, you know, James Bond has has figured it out. Uh, all these different stories are, are you know coexist, even though they don't actually have to coexist. Yeah, and now we're playing in Star Trek with kind of a somewhat visual reinterpretation of the 23rd century in a sense. Yeah. It's like, it's always having to evolve. Yes. It's got to. And, you know, I think we're just being pedantic if we're, you know, say, ah, that's not what that, you know, looked like or what, or why weren't there holograms? Well, they couldn't do a hologram on TV in 1966 on the budget. Uh, you don't think he wouldn't have wanted to do a hologram? Uh, well, there weren't holograms later. Okay, fine. Then we have to figure out a way to... They already had a plan for backing the holograms out while people were whining about it. So <laughs> it's it's just... Uh, it's just the, the, the proper response is just wait. Yes. Absolutely. Let it play out. <laughs> just wait. Yeah, but but you know, but we but we don't, and this is what's special about living in the now. We can go and tell people, hey, we remember when people were really really mad about Michael Keaton being Batman. Uh, you know, we 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 remember when this was a controversy for you know weeks and weeks at a time, and uh, you know you know later on people like what that was. A controversy. We, it's we're the only people who are seeing this as it's being produced, and uh, and it's going to be different. It's going to feel different forever uh, for whoever comes along next. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of uh, just waiting things out, is there anything on the horizon coming from you, uh, Star Trek or otherwise, uh, that our listeners would be interested in checking out in the next while? Well, uh, announced uh, the uh, the Star Wars uh, book we did uh, for the 40th anniversary of, uh, of A New Hope uh, was called uh, From a Certain Point of View, where it was a different story about each uh, or 40, 40, 43 authors did stories, uh, including Will Wheaton. Uh, did stories uh, that tied in with various moments in A New Hope. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a great idea. I think it'd be cool if, uh, if uh, Star Trek did one. Uh, the, the, uh, the 
and what I did, my story for that one, which was narrated by January Lavoie, uh, who, who does uh, uh, Die Standing, uh, was uh, a tie-in with Kenobi uh, and uh, used a character from that, uh, that novel. Um, we have not said what I'm doing for uh, The Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view. Uh, but that book will come out in November, uh, and uh, it's another forty authors, uh, and uh, I think people will like seeing what I what I've done. Um, you know, as as for as for other, I've actually spent most of my time during the pandemic uh, so far. I should say the pandemic so far. Uh, I spent most of my time uh, working on stuff for Comicron, which is my uh, my comics history website. Uh, where I, I calculate sales figures. Uh, you know, I've been temporarily broken from uh, sort of this pattern of, well, for over 20 years, I have had to calculate, or I've made myself calculate the sales figures for, uh, for the industry every single month uh, for that website uh, and for the, the magazines that I worked for previous to that. Um, this has given me the chance to actually dig in really deeply to the 1960s uh, and and uh, work on a project that I've been building up. Uh, I have you know, thousands and thousands of pages of information uh, that I have on what comics sold in the early 1960s. Uh, and I have been putting it all together, uh, Sudoku style, Rubik's Cube style, getting things to fit, uh, you know, to where, you know, I can literally say I, I spent the last 48 hours when I was not promoting this book, uh, trying to, uh, trying to see which comics by gold key, uh, a publisher, the publisher that did the Star Trek books, which ones, ha which specific issues had ads in them in 1964, uh, because that's relevant to, uh, connecting one set of my sales figure data about individual issues to another set of sales figure data, which is about how many copies they sold uh, when they were setting the ad rates uh, for that publisher in 1964. And, wow. <laughs> and, and I, I've, I've gotten these and, and I realized, Hey, these numbers don't work out. This is saying that gold key sold so many more copies. And then I realized no, this number only refers to the number of copies that had ads in them. And about 60% uh, of the line had ads and 40% did not. Excellent. If people want to follow you online, uh, where would they best be able to do that? Okay, that will be uh, farawaypress.com, where uh, I'm also uh, offering uh, uh, on the, the front page of that site, uh, I'm, taking, uh, I'm taking orders for signed copies if anybody is interested, because I'm not going to be going anywhere this summer, uh, and uh, so this may be the people's only chance. Uh, but, uh, but then also uh, uh, JJM Faraway on, uh, on Twitter, uh, and uh, John Jackson Miller on Facebook. Uh, and then I also have a Facebook and a Twitter for the, the website Comicron, C-O-M-I-C-H-R-O-N, uh, Comicron.com. Uh, Comicron and when there's something uh, about that to publish, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, you people will be able to follow it there. Uh, and that also has a Patreon associated with it. Um, you know, I, uh, I, it'll be a couple of years before I get to 1967 and 68, get to the Star Trek comics, <laughs> but uh, that'll be fun when I get there. What a great opportunity to catch up with 
John Jackson Miller about Star Wars. I mean, it was just fantastic. <laughs> oh, wait, and also Star Trek, too. Of course. Of course. No, I really enjoyed this novel. Uh, I, I went into this and I thought, oh, wow, this is something on Discovery that we haven't seen. It's like, how did Giorgio go from season one to season two into section 31 and to just fill that whole backstory in? It was just incredible. Yeah, I love the novel's ability to be to take a character and fill in those missing parts. And this is a character who has had some pretty big missing parts, which I'm really glad we get a little bit of a glimpse into. But it's been fun talking about Giorgio's missing parts today, but this isn't the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. And I love thinking about Captain Archer Day. Like, I can totally see that. Because, yep, he's... Well, it, and even in Discovery, when Saru was like, you know, look at the best captains in history, and Archer was he's there. kind of a big deal. So, kind of a big deal. Yes, yes. I'm sure there's a high school named oh, after I him. Bet. I'm sure. I bet. <laughs> or a dog park, at least. <laughs> yeah, dog park. <laughs> Primitive culture. A look at history and culture through Star Trek. There is this real split uh, between the people who want to push more in the utopian direction to make a point about the present that way, and between the people who, you know, who are not in control and who want to be gritty and who say. Uh, oh, but, you know, of course socialism, as depicted in Star Trek, cannot work. Of course not. Um, and, and that's the real privilege here, by the way. Um, that's the real privilege. The Ready Room. I, th- I think in the season two pilot, he's going to order tea very early in the episode. Yeah. And, say, fact, and not say decaf, so you know that he's feeling his oats as a... Not Android. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Okay. I just just wait. It's the scene. It's gonna be in the season two teaser. I feel young. It's be there. As when <laughs> tea has it's caffeine in it. Uh, to the journey. Oh, what if we get in Picard season two? And I'm. This is gonna be so hypocritical of me because I don't want extra characters turning up. Or even if we get it in lower decks. What if it's like. Chukote and Jaime are married now. All I need to see is a picture on somebody's desk. You don't even have to say anything. What, of Chukote and Jaime together? Yeah, like a wedding picture of them. Why would anyone have that That's on their desk? Maybe they go to see Tom or Harry uh, or the, the doctor. The doctor would the have The doctor's going to be in it. Yes. The doctor would have it. Yes, and he could just Because he's always on. taking pictures. Yes. Oh, oh, my God, he can have just a line that says, <gasps> when I was at Chukote and Jaime's wedding. <gasps> oh, my God. It's going to happen. He t- he doesn't even have to say that. They could just be sitting at his desk and there's a picture behind him. He doesn't even mention it. It's just there. Oh, oh my God. I'm getting chills. I would fall off the couch. It has to be done. If Kirsten Byer acknowledges it, she's one of the main showrunner people of Picard. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, 
or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating or written review. If you're not an Apple user, we got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, YouTube, Spotify, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. There are no missing parts. <laughs> well, if you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm to get all of the details. Perks can include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. And those are all available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on our missing parts of today's show, and there's many ways you can do that. The best place to join in on the conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right to us. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trekfm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that will come right to us. And you can find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We also have a group on Goodreads.com, and there you can find bookshelves with all of our previously covered books, as well as the currently reading section, so you know what's coming up for future shows. Plus, there are great conversations happening about the books and comics there as well. Just go to Goodreads.com, search for Literary Treks, and click Join Group. We'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shemutala, Justin Ozer, Jeffrey Harlan, and Casey Pettit for their support of the Trek FM network and for being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. Now, Bruce, when you're not planning elaborate, crazy simulations at Federation black site prisons to train new recruits for Section 31 who are actually former emperors from the Mirror Universe... Try saying that 10 times fast. Where can we find you? Yeah, yeah, I was, I've been doing all that. All that. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. You can find me on the Star Wars report uh, occasionally this month. A couple of times. Yep, yep. You can find me there. And uh, you can find me on, of course, Positively Trek with Dan. And I guess that's about it. And of course, you know, I'm always in the Babel Conference. But that will always continue. So, Dan... When you're not jumping into a pool of water, into a cascade, and duplicating yourself into a lesser Dan Gunther, where can people find you? <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube.com slash Productions, where I'm making videos mostly about Star Trek and really looking forward to making those videos about Lower Decks. And of course, talking about all kinds of Star Trek books and comics and television shows and all kinds of stuff on Positively Trek with you, my good friend. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>